um, we are talking about money uh, this morning, and I just want to make a promise to you right here, right now, we will talk about money as often as it comes up in the Bible, right? Not more, not less. As long as God raises it in our travels through His Word, that's how often uh, we'll talk about it, because that must be how often He thinks we need to talk about it. Uh, But what I hope you see is that when we talk about money, uh, we talk about it in a very different and far more beautiful way than the world ever even conceives of thinking about uh, the use of money. Uh, So let's pray that uh, we would be encouraged in that way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your generosity to us. Uh, There's so much evidence of it. Um, But please help us today, we ask, be most impressed, that is, most won over by your generosity to us in Jesus Christ, and that that might then produce all sorts of generosity in us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if uh, you use a Bible app, an an app on your phone uh, that that helps you read the Bible, easy access, all that sort of stuff. As I've said before, I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of this, right? The the paper Bible, you know, that I can carry around and open up and have with me uh, and feel in my hands. But I have to say the Bible app is also quite useful. 500 million people agree with me. I'm talking about the just one app. It's kind of the Google of Bible apps. Uh, it's got 90-something percent of the, the market. It's called, uh, I think, the version Bible apps, probably on, may, may well be on your phone. 500 million people. And, uh, and uh, one of the things that version does is every year it publishes some statistics, um, things like most popular verse of the year. In other words, most, most searched up uh, verse of the year. And uh, here's a little infographic. I think we've got this. Yep, here we go. I don't know uh, how, if it's big enough for you to see, but here's a little infographic. This is actually from 2013, okay? So it's, it's pretty old. I just couldn't find a good representation of it uh, that's newer than this. But it doesn't really matter because what I've noticed as I scan through the year, uh, the updates for every year, Interestingly, the, most, the, the favorite Bible verses don't change much. They sort of uh, move around a little bit. In even years, even numbered years, Isaiah 40, 31 tends to win. Um, uh, but, but you can see uh, some of these other verses. And right at the top in 2013 was a verse from our passage today, Philippians 4, 13, which says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. An earlier version of the NIV actually said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, it is a very encouraging verse, isn't it? Like, wow, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Um, But I wonder if it's actually a well-understood verse from the Bible. I wonder if it's one of those verses that maybe gets taken out of context a little bit. Now, the change in translation helps us a little bit not to take it out of context, context, because we have to think, what is the this that Paul is referring to? And we'll see that uh, a little later. Um, But if it was, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, wow, what great motivational material that would be. Um, We used to have a kid's CD, uh, you know, probably still lying around somewhere, all scratched up. It's called Scripture Rock. And one of the verses on it was Philippians 4.13. It's an American 
publication, which is not a problem. I'm just saying that for context, okay? But one of the things that uh, one of the things that I sing is, I can make a touchdown in the Super Bowl, right? And there's this uh, long list of things that I can do because Christ is with me. Right? Is that really what the verse means? You know, that we just kind of take this verse and we, we take it into our life and we've got our agenda. What am I trying to achieve in life? And I will be able to do it because well, Christ will give me the strength to do it. Everything I need, Christ will give me. Uh, is that really what this verse means? As Paul comes to the end of his letter, he takes one last opportunity to actually almost do the opposite of that, to redirect his readers, his hearers' gaze away from themselves, away from their circumstances, away from their own personal goals and aspirations, and to fix them firmly on Christ himself and Christ's cause and Christ's kingdom. In the final verses of the letter, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Paul returns to this theme of gospel partnership that he began the letter with, and here focusing on the financial aspect of that partnership. It's a little bit like when you get a prayer letter from a, a ministry or, or uh, you know, whatever it is that you support uh, and you read all about the updates of what's happening in the ministry and then right at the end they say, oh, and by the way, we always appreciate those who give to support this ministry. And I can kind of understand why they leave it to the end. They're just following Paul's example, right? Um, uh, you know, or may, maybe there's sort of, you know, just what they want to lead with the money thing, um, but it's important. It's important to inform people uh, of the needs and how reliant uh, many gospel workers are on the generosity of other believers. And it seems to be what Paul uh, does here. Maybe. We'll keep going, though. Uh, let's start uh, from verse 10. Read the first couple of verses. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Now, I love what he does next. It's sort of like he can't hit backspace. You know, he can't go, ooh, gee, that sounds a little bit like I'm saying you didn't care about me for a while there. Uh, he can't white it out, uh, so he has to explain himself in the next uh, sentence. He says, oh, indeed, you were concerned. I know, I know you've always cared, uh, but you had no opportunity to show it. Think about it. They couldn't just send an email, transfer some money electronically, uh, send, send a gift via the post. Back in the day, this day, the only way to show your support the only way to show your concern, to express it, was actually to send a messenger. You had to know where the person was, first of all, that you needed to send it to. Uh, you couldn't just sort of send it to a forwarding address and they'd come and pick it up. You had to know where... And, and Paul, you know, he was on the road all the time. He had no fixed address. You had to know where Paul was. You had to be able to find him. You had to be able to get access to him. You know, maybe he's in prison, maybe you can't get access, whatever... The Philippians hadn't had an opportunity for a while, but when they did, they took it. And so he says, thank you, I rejoice greatly. Another theme in this letter, Paul's joy, and one of the things that he finds joy is, is in this partnership that he shares with the Philippian church. But notice there uh, in uh, verse 11 that what he says is, I'm not saying this, his joy isn't because he's in need. Um, so he's not grateful for their partnership because he's in need. For I have learned, he says, to be content whatever the circumstances. Whatever the circumstances, he's learned to be content. Notice that key word again, whatever. 
seems to be Paul's attitude for so many things, doesn't it? Have, have you kind of heard it as we've gone through the letter? You know, this is going on, eh, whatever. You know, other things happen, oh, whatever, doesn't matter. So, so back in chapter 1, we heard that there were some people who were looking to make trouble for Paul, preaching the gospel out of false motives. How does Paul respond? Whatever, let him go for it. Why? Because all that I care about, says Paul, is that the gospel is preached. Whatever people's motives might be, okay, that's between them and God, but the main thing is that the gospel is preached. So, so whatever. Remember later on when he's kind of wrestling with, you know, am I going to continue or not? Will I live or will I die? He says, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Because he says, to live is Christ. That's good. And to die well, is to be with Christ. So that's better by far. Win-win. Whatever, he says. doesn't really matter. And here again, in this example, he expresses this whatever attitude. It's not that he doesn't care, it's that he cares most about Christ and his cause. And that has taught him what he says. He says he has learned contentment. He can say genuinely, whatever. He's content. And Paul's had lots of opportunity in his life and his ministry to learn contentment. Uh, He says there in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. And he does. Paul has very faithfully followed the Lord Jesus, uh, the one who said uh, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Paul follows Jesus and so he goes everywhere and often into very difficult terrain, very difficult circumstances. That's how it was always going to be for Paul when he was lying on his back, uh, having met the Lord Jesus in a vision on the, on the road to Damascus, uh, in that blinding light, in that moment where he came face to face with the Lord who he'd been persecuting. He's lying on his back uh, for days afterwards and the Lord visits him and helps him understand what it's going to mean. He visits him personally and he sends Ananias and the message from Ananias is, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. And Paul embraces that suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. And you can read about it uh, in some of his letters. In 2 Corinthians 11, he describes it like this. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I have no idea why it's not just called the 39 lashes, but anyway. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel it? Who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? But if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness, he says, so that Christ might receive the glory. He has learned in all sorts of arduous circumstances to be content, to be content in Christ. But Paul has learned an even harder lesson than that. Now, you think that's, that's a pretty hard lesson to learn, to be content in those difficult circumstances, but he's learned an even harder lesson, and that is to be content when life is good. 
Now you might think, what? Why do you need to learn that lesson? Surely when life is good, we are content. Are you? Are you really? When life is good, you've got a full belly, your needs are met, are you content? Now you kind of think we should be, but are we? Or are we a little bit more like or a lot more like uh, the experience described by the preacher in Ecclesiastes? This is King Solomon speaking, right? A man who had far more than you or I will ever have. He lists a whole bunch of it off uh, in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes and then he summarises it like this. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Gone. A chasing after the wind Nothing was truly gained under the sun. And I think that when we reflect and look seriously at life, we discover something similar. We're not actually satisfied. We don't find contentment in these things under the sun. And yet Paul did. Still, somehow in those circumstances, when he had enough, he did find contentment. Paul says he knows the secret. And he wants us to know it too. Paul is hopeless at keeping secrets. He, uh, he just wants to let you know. And that secret is that Christ is enough. And that's what Philippians 4.13 is all about. He says, I can do all these things because I have Christ. That is, this, this, I can do this because I have Christ. I can be content no matter what because I've got Christ. And it's in him that I place my value and I find my contentment. If you find contentment elusive, and who doesn't, maybe, definitely, it's because you're striving for some other goal than Jesus. It explains it perfectly. So Paul assures the Philippians that they needn't worry about him. His secret is all he needs. Jesus is all he needs. But at the same time, he knows that their gifts to him, because that's what he's writing about, remember? He says, uh, I'm so grateful that you've renewed your concern for me. He talks about gifts that Epaphroditus has just delivered to him, and he's saying thank you for those things. Uh, He knows that those gifts are the fruit of the gospel work at work among the Philippians. It's their generosity, gospel generosity, welling up and being expressed towards him. Uh, But... He doesn't say to them, listen, I've got all that I need, so stop giving. He does have all that he needs, he says, but he doesn't say stop giving. He encourages them to keep giving, whether he needs their gifts or not, not because he's being greedy, remember, he's content, but because it is good for them to be generous. It is good for them to express the fruit of the gospel which is what he's talking about in verse 17, where he says, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account, that it be good for you to keep giving. As Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. 
Uh, the Philippians' generosity is a wonderful example of the transforming power of the gospel. Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians uh, earlier, chapter 11. Let me read from that letter, chapter 8, uh, where Paul tells the Corinthians about these Philippians and their generosity. He describes it in this way, chapter 8, verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, the Philippians' overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, without being prompted, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. It's an incredible description, isn't it? They had next to nothing and they gave more than they were able and not because anybody asked them, they pleaded for the privilege to give. Where on earth does that come from? What comes from the same source as Paul's own uh, life, contentment in Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, and this is really important to note, the Philippians' generosity was not the norm. And we know that. This is extreme generosity. It was not the norm. And back in Philippians 4, we read in verse 15, uh, Paul says, As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from you, from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Not one church, except you. This is one reason why Paul is so grateful for the Philippians, because of how much he depended on them for the continuation of his ministry. You know, John Wesley, the, uh, the 18th century preacher, hymn writer, said, the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. I think he meant men and women, not sure, I can only speak for a man, but I think he's probably on the money. <laughs> on average in Australia, the average Australian church-going Christian gives 3% of their income to church. 3%. Now that 3% statistic is probably a little misleading in a way because it's an average. Uh, what it hides is the fact that there are a minority uh, of church-going Christians out of that number who give, that give a lot more than that and that there's a lot of church-going Christians who give nothing, zero, to their church. The reasons, I guess we don't know for certain, but it's definitely an issue. Uh, in Matthew, and, and here's why it's an issue. You, you might think it's an issue because, oh, there's not, no, there's not enough to go around, there's not enough to support ministry. And that can be, that can be an issue. Have a look at your, uh, the balance in your handout today. Don't want to dwell on that. But, you know, we actually can't book things for church camp at the moment. We've got quotes, we've got all that sort of stuff, but we, we can't book them because we've got a cash flow issue. But moving on. Here's why it's really a problem. Jesus said this, where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. And the fascinating thing about that is the order that he says it in. He doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. So in this instance, he doesn't motivate people by the gospel. He doesn't start with the heart. He actually says sometimes, if you want your heart to change, you've got to act first. He says where you invest, where you put your treasure, guess what will happen? Your heart will follow. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you're average by Australian statistics, what does the 97% that you're using in other ways reveal about where your heart is? Now, all disclaimers in the world, right? I, I know everyone's circumstances are different. I totally understand, I don't know where, what your circumstances are or what you give or anything like that, but, but we're just dealing with this reality of the average. And I know also that a lot of that 97% is locked in, but, but I also suspect not all of it, right? We looked at those averages earlier on what we spent, $450 a week on uh, eating out, uh, drinking alcohol and culture and whatever that other one was, right? on average household. That's a fair bit of discretionary spending. Consider it. But also, maybe, maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know, I, am, I'm not, I don't do that. I'm not a spender. I'm a saver. <laughs> Savers tend to be a little bit self-righteous. Um, right? but, but maybe that is you. You know? And there's always something to save for, isn't there? Right? When, you're, when you're little, when you're a kid, you get the things you want. Saving up for, maybe saving up for a bike, maybe an e-scooter, maybe, maybe these days there's a phone you're saving up for. You've got your eye on that, that thing, you're, just, you're saving up desperately for it. And then you get it, and then that's the next thing to save for. You know? the, the, the bike's good, but now you're 16 or 17, you're on your L's or your P's, and you're thinking, oh, I could, I, if I had a car... I'd be so independent, I'd be mobile, I could do whatever I wanted. So you save up for your car. And then, and then you, get, you get your car, and then you've got to pay for, keep it on the road, right? So then you've got to save all your money to kind of just pay the, pay the bills on the car. And then you get on top of that, and then, and then well, one day you're going to want somewhere to live. You know? Mum and dad may not have the resources to help you out, so you've got to save and save and save and save and try and get that deposit together. You know, it's almost impossible, we read, these days to, to do that, so you've got to save and save and save and save. Finally, maybe you get to buy that house. And then, you know, you start sort of building up your equity and getting on top of that. And then you go, oh, man, I'm exhausted from all this hard work that I had to do to save all this money. So I deserve a holiday. I deserve a holiday. And every year, I, I need a break. I deserve a holiday. I'm so exhausted. I need a holiday. It's, it's re- rejuvenating. And, and, and that holiday I had last year was good, but there's a better holiday. I could have a better holiday. They'd have a longer holiday. There's always more to save for. And then you get, and then you get older and you, think, you start thinking, oh my goodness, retirement, you know? I need to save for that. Like, who's going to look after me in retirement? I have to look after me in retirement, so put it all away. Make sure you're putting it all away in retirement savings so that there'll be enough for you in retirement. And you get to your retirement and you go, that's, that's good. But you start looking back on life and you're thinking, oh my, what about the kids? What about the grandkids? There's so many of them. <laughs> uh, 
I need, to sa- I need to save up for them. I need to hold on to what I've got for them so that I can pass it on to them. And uh, you know, it's funny, right? I'm telling it in a funny way. Thanks for laughing. But it's not funny. It's not funny. Because whether we're spending or saving, if it means we're not giving, then there is a huge problem. And the huge problem is, not that there's not enough to go around for gospel ministry primarily, because there will always be enough, God will provide, but that your life is not reflective of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and of an ultimate concern for his kingdom and an awareness that everything that you invest in in this life will fade and break and die and pass. But there is one investment that you can make that will not. And that is in his kingdom. If God thought that it was good for his Old Testament people, people who lived hand to mouth, to give at least 10% of their wealth for the work of the priests and the temple, then don't you think that it might be good and right for us too? We who have so much more than they did, but somehow managed to give so much less. That's one reason, but there's, there's more than that and more important reasons. If Christ gave up everything for you, and he did, we've seen that in Philippians 2, haven't we? Christ, in very nature God, owns the whole world and yet gives it all up. and becomes a servant, your servant, your slave is actually the word. He gives it all up. For you, though it all belongs to him, he gives it all up. He becomes obedient to death that you might receive his inheritance. If, if Christ did that for you, and if you have responded to that good news so that you now know that to live is Christ. Right? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I live for him, not for myself. For his kingdom, not for my own. And if you can say with Paul... To die is gain. That's where my treasure lies. My lasting treasure lies with Jesus Christ. If you can say that with Paul, then don't you think that on the last day, and I don't mean your last day, I mean the last day, when the books are opened and the work of our life is laid bare for all to see, don't you think that 3% might seem just a little bit stingy. That we might look around on that day in awe at all that the generosity of people like the Philippians has achieved and at the same time blush with shame and regret at how little we have contributed. Folks, uh, I did mention our APC situation at the moment, set that to the side because what I really want to talk about today is the opportunity that we have to contribute to ministry beyond us. Right? Uh, you might know, you might have heard us talk, you've you certainly heard us pray, you've prayed with us for our gospel partners. We have four formal gospel partners here at APC, there's uh, Quizworks, there's uh, Griffith Christian Students, the Campus on Ministry, and then overseas, we've got the Jamaludans and the Hughes family, Thailand and Japan. 
Father Hughes, who we prayed for this morning. You know, uh, one of the f- some of the feedback that we've actually had from from uh, one of our gospel partners is that they they feel really supported by us in some ways. Uh, that is, we're really good at staying in touch. Uh, we're really good at welcoming them when they visit us. Uh, they really enjoy the relationships that they have with us. But there's this anomaly. And the anomaly is, uh, out of all their supporting churches, we give the least. Uh, there's kind of this, it doesn't match up. You know, they know we love them, but there's something missing. Now, part of the reason for that, and, and happy to take responsibility for this, is that uh, we haven't perhaps communicated well as a leadership of the church uh, how our giving to those partners is intended to work. So there is amount, an amount, it's only about $10,000, $10,000 or $12,000 in our budget to share amongst those four uh, partners. You can do the math, two and a half or $3,000 a year uh, that goes to each of them. It's not much, it's expensive, uh, especially overseas. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of extra medical costs because you can't rely on you know, the government benefits and all that sort of stuff, there's, it's expensive. The idea here at church is that that 10 grand or 12 grand is just meant to be a reminder to us that we are partners with those people. And, and what we'd love to see is that members of our church take responsibility for themselves personally to support our gospel partners. Sorry if we haven't made that clear in the past, but hopefully it's clear now. And so I, I urge you and I encourage you to see not just the need, but the privilege, as Paul puts it, the privilege of supporting the work of the gospel uh, around the world. Now, you may support many other gospel ministries, and that's wonderful, but I encourage you to to be part of our support of our uh, gospel partners whom we have adopted. Folks, back to where it all lands, is Christ your goal? Is Christ your goal? If he is, then it'll show in true lifelong generosity to his cause, among other ways. The growth and building up of his kingdom will be your delight. His kingdom throughout the world until he returns to claim it as his own. Let's pray that we would have that kind of heart and that it would overflow in generosity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and kindness to us declared and revealed in the gospel in the coming of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we, through his generosity, might become rich. Father, help us to understand what our true riches are so that we wouldn't hold on to other things that aren't true riches, but rather use them for the sake of what is truly good and lasting and glorious uh, for the growth of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.